Hello. Welcome to another podcast. Uh, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. Um, hopefully everyone out there can enjoy Thanksgiving with their friends and family. Um, I just want to thank everyone again for tuning in. Uh, today we got my friend Dave, who uh, I've known since I was, I think, four years old. We went to the same preschool uh, through high school, essentially, and then kept in touch. Um, we recorded this podcast in Portland, Maine, his hometown, not his hometown, but where he lives now. Um, and so it's the first podcast that was actually recorded on the road. Um, so we talked to him about his new job, which I'll let our conversation tell you more about it. Uh, but essentially he is a environmentalist consultant. Um, and then we also go into a lot about fly fishing and just other outdoor activities that he's super into. Uh, very overall awesome conversation. He's a really cool guy. Um, just some general podcast notes. I just wanted to thank everyone for listening again. Um, I recently looked at like the map where everyone is listening from and we have people in Germany and Spain and Paris and New York city and out in California. And we got middle America. Um, obviously being from the Northeast, that's where the majority of people I know are from. So thank you all again for listening. It, it, at this point we're in 13 states and i think seven countries uh so that's awesome uh, i think that's just based off of me talking about it and you guys talking about it um so very cool again if you could help me out just tell one other person um or you can tell two if you're crazy about it um follow me on instagram avery underscore friends and twitter avery underscore friends and let's get right into the pod. So, Dave Forbes, welcome to the podcast. Thank How are you. you doing today? Good. Good to be here. Yeah. Um, so do you want to give a little intro to the people just kind of a quick rundown of who you are, what you do? Yeah. Um, so yeah, my name's Dave Forbes. Um, known Avery for a long time now. uh, I think probably since like preschool or something like that. It's essentially uh, three or four years old. Yeah. Pretty much our whole lives. Um, but yeah, I am a, uh, recently started as a, uh, environmental consultant here in in Maine. Um, so I'm environmental consulting, uh, kind of focus on wetland science. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, for those of you listening, we're in Portland, Maine. This is the first travel podcast I've done. All the other ones have been recorded in Boston. So it's the first time I've ventured out. Um, so hopefully we'll have more. Um, but yeah, I'm really curious about this, um, environmentalist job. So, so you're specifically in wetlands, yeah expert um so kind of like give me a rundown of what you do because you're a consulting correct yep yeah so Um, what do you technically consult on um you know it could be a lot of stuff it's mostly like um really any type of development is what we kind of tend to do um the company that i work for um they do a lot of different stuff which is kind of cool they have like a whole surveying crew on staff so they kind of 
we'll see projects um, from beginning to end Mm -hmm. in a lot of cases, which is cool because it's not something you get with a lot of environmental consulting companies. Um, But yeah, so kind of what I do is um, say, you know, you bought a piece of property, you want to develop it, you want to put a subdivision in, you want to put a, you know, a solar farm in, something Mm -hmm. like that. There are like particular laws and regulations around developing on or near um, wetlands because they're, you know, very environmentally um, significant. Mm -hmm. So basically what we do is go out um, and essentially just, it's called a wetland delineation. It's like where you just determine um, essentially just where the wetland is and the exact boundaries of it, Mm -hmm. um, which, you know, it sounds simple in practice. <laughs> like, you know, obviously if you go out and there's a big pond and you're like, okay, yeah, you know, standing water, you're like, that's a wetland. Pretty obvious. There's the edge of it. But in a lot of cases, there's a lot of like different types of wetlands that are not as obvious. So you have to look more into, you know, what type of plant life you have there. Mm-hmm. You got to look at the soils and like hydrology and all of that stuff and determine uh, where it starts and ends. Okay. So, um, I guess we'll, we'll start at the very basic because I, I'm not a big science guy, yeah, yeah. but is there like a general definition of what a wetland is versus cause how do you classify what is a wetland that you can say build on versus something that's you can't, or you need to hire someone like you to come in? Yeah. Um, I guess the, I, a wetland basically needs three um, conditions to be considered a wetland. Mm-hmm. One of it, one of which is like hydrology. So it's got to have water yeah. in it, basically, and it doesn't have to always have like standing water. Mm-hmm. It can be, you know, only part of the year. Okay, you'll see water in it or something like that. Um, Makes sense that a wetland is wet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's super. You know, kind of obvious, but, um, and then another one is, um, hydric soils is what we call it. So it's like, there's certain characteristics and conditions of soil that when it is, you know, fully saturated for the entire year or a good portion of the year, you'll see what we call hydric conditions in these soils. Okay. And that's usually, you know, a very, very dark um soil that's full of organic matter Mm -hmm. so it's not very like sandy or anything like that i mean there are wetlands that are more sandy especially as you get more coastal Mm -hmm. um but typically in kind of a forest or inland setting at least around here in maine we're looking at those more high organic um uh organic soils Mm -hmm. hydric soils um so that's the other condition. And then the third one would be um, wetland plants, basically. Okay. So there's certain plants that um, either are just more likely to grow in those hydric soils or mm. can only grow in those hydric soils. So that's what we're basically looking for. Okay. And the reason is like, I don't know, a wetland is so significant because it's essentially like a big filter for like pollutants uh, oh really so the pollutants come in uh, yeah so like if you think of like 
um, think of like a river or a stream, mm-hmm. you know, it's moving water and anything that goes into that river or stream, you know, not, not all of it, but a lot of it is just going to go straight down to wherever it goes, you know? Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. And then if you think of like a wetland, you know, say this stream trickles in and kind of settles in this wetland, mm-hmm. all that water kind of just sits there for a long period of time and it's got all that vegetation to use those nutrients and kind of like you know filter them out essentially Mm. so that's like why they're considered so important yeah it helps to like prevent a lot of um you know if you go into an area and like pave over all the wetlands in an Mm. area now all those nutrients that you know just from you know cars driving by like oil from a car gas from a car all that stuff is just going to go straight into your your water source whether it's a lake or the ocean or Mm -hmm. anything like that and then obviously that hurts the fish in there and then if you use say a river for drinking water or something like that yeah it can i mean a good example is like back home lake champlain Mm -hmm. you know we've been i don't know how much you know about this stuff but like the the blue green algae blooms yes. that we've seen in the lake. Yes. That's all essentially what that is, is mm-hmm. runoff. Okay. Mostly, I think that is mostly from, well, you know, city runoff, I think mm-hmm. to some degree, but a lot of it is um, fertilizer from yeah. farms. Yeah. Runs into the that. lake and just like loads this lake up with all these nutrients and then these algae just, you know, go crazy. Yeah, exactly. So I kind of want to go back to the different plants because, um, I'm just kind of curious of some different names and like, cause I, when I think of like a wetland, I think of cattails, Mm -hmm. is that correct? Is that the scientific name for them or do they have something? Uh, There definitely is a a scientific, like you don't know. I don't know it off the top (laughs) of my head. Honestly, memorizing plants and plant names is not a strong suit of mine. (laughs) It doesn't interest you. It does interest me. I just think I don't have the right brain to, just sit there and cram all these plants into my my <laughs> mind. I remember like one one of the plant ID classes that I took in college mm-hmm. was just like I was very interested in it all and like I could remember what plant was what. But we just had to like learn all this other information about it and just every week take quizzes on just like you just had to be like what is this plant? What is its wetland status what's mm-hmm. the depth to groundwater like all this stuff and i've struggled with that <laughs> yeah like i can go up to and be like i know what this plant is but like when you're trying to memorize like a hundred different plants on this mm-hmm. quiz you're like oh geez i don't know <laughs> yeah i don't know i just don't have like the memorization brain yeah. i don't think and so do you deal with wildlife too as well uh kind of like categorizing what animals are in the area i don't know if that affects kind of yeah someone can build yep um it definitely can there's you know um different classifications of endangered species okay that we you know it's hard to like a lot of them are like you know little tiny salamanders and stuff like that that like realistically it's going to be pretty hard to find those even if they are there you know um but if we see something like that we would definitely make note of it. And yeah, mm-hmm. there are certain regulations around developing around, you know, endangered or rare protected species. 
Um, but yeah, we, we will do, um, like wildlife surveys if that is something that the client is needs to have done or is interested in having done. Um, but I definitely run into some wildlife. I ran into a big old bull moose last week. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. I was just like following this stream up just by myself, not really paying attention. I like got into this area and I was like, oh, this kind of looks like a little forested wetland up here. It was just like looking around. I was like, oh, that's a big old moose right there. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of, I don't know. Not the first time I've run into a moose, but yeah. it definitely makes you stop and be like, all right, how do I, how would I safely get out of this situation? <laughs> how do I maneuver out so around? I don't get trampled? Yeah. No, he just um, kind of, I just watched him for a little bit and then yelled at him and he just kind of stared at me for a bit and then just kind of. Yeah. Wandered off. So, um, so you kind of mentioned that in the very beginning, um, that your company kind of stays with the project throughout the entirety. Mm-hmm. Um, so do most like kind of environmental consultants or wetland, do they not do that? They kind of come in, in the beginning and just survey and report out or. Yeah, it kind of depends. Um, you know, like a lot of larger engineering firms will have like a environmental department mm-hmm. within their own company. Okay. So a company like that is going to, you know, see things through from for a lot of whatever the project yeah. is since they're attached to like an engineering firm. Mm-hmm. Um, but we are not an engineering firm, so it is kind of like rare, I guess, to have so much um to be a part of so much of the project as a company of our size, Mm. I guess. So like, you know, a lot of, if it were just an environmental consulting company, mostly what they would do is, you know, a larger engineering firm would, you know, contract us essentially to um, go do essentially just like, you know, say they just needed wetlands done mm-hmm. we would go in not even necessarily knowing what they're doing on the property and just do the wetlands that's it um so for our company though we do you know, like we do all that we do like the permitting side of things later on which is so you help like them get the permits from yep. the local government or whatever mm-hmm. yep okay yep and then, yeah, like like I said, like surveying, we have a surveying thing or survey crew as well, which is, uh, yeah, it's cool. It's a, you know, small company that does a lot of different work. Mm-hmm. And what are like kind of the different projects? There's a lot of like home developments, like strip mall developments or mm-hmm. kind of whatever gets thrown at you depending on the job. Yeah, it really depends. Um, so far, like, you know, I haven't been doing this for too long but mm-hmm. it's been a lot of um yeah subdivision stuff um and then a lot of just like small business mm-hmm. type expansion things. Like, yeah you really have to like anytime you're gonna build essentially especially as like a business mm-hmm. you kind of need to just make sure that you're not breaking any laws yeah environmental laws so yeah just like a small a lot of, you know, a lot of small properties, you know, 12 acres or mm-hmm. so that they just need checked up or 
you know, maybe they had done a wetland delineation like 10 years ago or something like that. And they just needed to have that updated. Okay. Yeah. So you could essentially, if like a building is already built and they might just need a, someone to come in and take a look even cause like 20 years has passed or whatever. And they just need an update on the land. Yeah. That's okay. definitely a lot of it. Um, yeah. I mean, even like tax, like the tax maps in a lot of these areas are, I mean, we, we've looked at tax maps in certain small towns in Maine that, you know, a tax map will essentially just show all the like different parcels of land, Okay. which is, you know, that's something that we do with the survey crew a lot mm-hmm. is like, they'll just, you know, get that exact boundary for each parcel. Yeah. But there's some that haven't been updated since like the seventies. Oh, jeez. Yeah. It's like 50 it's, years. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> It's just like these old, you know, tiny little towns that like they don't have the infrastructure to do updated all the time. And yeah. they don't really need to because everyone kind of just knows. Yeah. Like, oh, that's that's Jim's land over there. Like that's <laughs> there's know, Bobby down the street. Knows. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so I guess I mean, you may not know this because you're kind of new to the field, but I'm curious about do you know how much? laws vary like town to town state to state um anything about that like essentially like do you have to learn like kind of all new laws depending on what county or city you're doing your surveying in yeah um yeah i'm definitely still kind of like getting the hang of all of that it's very complicated stuff i can imagine yeah it takes like a while to to know it um I think, yeah, definitely it will vary by town a mm. lot. You know, each town will kind of have their own ordinance as far as environmental stuff goes and wetlands. Um, there is, like, the EPA has, like, federal standards for the mm. whole country. So that's kind of, like, the baseline, and it usually covers, you know, most states kind of just go by that. Go by that, okay. yeah. Um, but yeah, in certain places they they will have, you know, stricter regulations, mm-hmm. but yeah, it definitely gets really complicated and there's a lot of like research that you have to do in order to make sure that you're not, you know, violating any laws. Yeah. And yeah, and I can imagine if somewhere where it's a lot of woods and stuff, it, people are probably, it's a little bit more protective, but if it's a city or kind of like a more like developed place they're not not that there's no rules but there's not as many yeah yeah um you know i don't know honestly i think sometimes cities can even be more really than the rural areas yeah because there's so much development you know yeah they want to make sure people are doing right yeah yeah exactly Hmm. I mean, it really depends on, yeah. on the town, but yeah, it definitely can be stricter even in a city, Yeah, which, you know, can make sense. I mean, you know, it's a rainy day here in Portland and you see all the water just like pooling up and running off because of all the pavement around, yeah. you know what I mean? So that can definitely, you know, be a big factor. Yeah. So kind of gives you a different, like appreciation and like thinking of like building and yeah stuff like that yeah definitely yeah um and then as far as 
I don't know if this is getting like too political, but do you think like regulations are like too strict or not strict enough or you don't really know at this point? Um, I mean, yeah, I, I'm always gonna pretty much say that they should be stricter than yeah, they are. Yeah. Cause you're an yeah, environmentalist. I mean, and yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I just think that that stuff to me is like very important. Mm-hmm. I get both sides of it. You know, obviously we need business and development in order to be, you know, uh, the country that we are. Yeah. Like we growing. need that stuff and we need to be able to not have too many hoops to jump through for like small businesses and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. at the same time, you know, these resources are limited. And so I think it's, it's very important to yeah. like protect them. Well, that was a very good politics answer yeah playing both sides yep. <laughs> yeah it's like the the interview after the game yep <laughs> get pucks deep yep <laughs> shots on net i'd like to thank my family yeah. god yeah uh but so you're kind of in this career um new new career yeah um kind of tell me a little bit about your journey and kind of because i know like I didn't really know that this job existed up until when you got it. Cause you're a close friend. Yeah. I mean, I kind of knew like, obviously there's people, but yeah. how did you kind of find out about it? And was there something kind of before that you thought you wanted to do, but then you decided to do this? Yeah. I mean, I've always had like a strong interest in the outdoors and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always been like a big fisherman. Um, and just kind of, you know, I really like hiking, being outdoors in general. That's been something that I've always loved doing um, since I was a young kid. Mm-hmm. I think, like, in high school, I kind of had an interest in... I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I think I was kind of leaning more towards, like, the biology side of things. Um, so, like, research, like, studying animals or plants or something? Yeah, yep. Um, that was kind of like a what I was I don't know I never knew what I wanted to do I still don't know what I want to do but (laughs) we're still young yeah I guess like in high school that was kind of what I would dream of sometimes um and so I went to college at Montana State in Bozeman Mm -hmm. um I started there as a fish and wildlife major um which I loved and I you know I I worked in fish and wildlife a little bit in college and stuff like that so that with was, like game wardens and yep so yeah. i worked in the uh the wildlife health lab um mm-hmm. for the montana department of fish and wildlife which was an awesome experience it was really cool i basically we would get um animals that had been you know killed for mm-hmm. whatever reason a lot of times we didn't know sometimes it was roadkill sometimes it wasn't but you know, there's a lot of animals out in Montana, so yeah. we get like elk, moose, bighorn sheep, mm-hmm. uh, grizzly bears, like wolves, yeah. everything, and we'd basically like uh, do what's called a necropsy, which is essentially cut them open, find cause of death, like stuff like that, and just like take samples generally, mm-hmm. like assess their health, Yeah, which was really cool. I mean, it was definitely... Uh, pretty gross job were you cutting the animals open yeah i would like help <laughs> well, i do can that. do that i, I can do that yeah it was definitely an adjustment but at the same time it was just like really cool being like oh wow that moose has a giant heart <laughs> it's like the size of a watermelon <laughs> oh yeah i can imagine those <laughs> yeah. things are fucking massive. i know yeah 
So yeah, that was cool. Um, but anyway, back to kind of my path. Um, I kind of realized that I didn't really want to do fish and wildlife as like a career. I realized that I think I was only in that program for like one semester. Mm-hmm. I basically just like, um, you know, the intro to fish and wildlife class, they had like all these guest lectures. It was basically just guest lectures every week. Mm-hmm. And pretty much every single one of them was like, yeah, to be in this career, you're going to have to just do volunteer work for like five years <laughs> like you're just not gonna get paid yeah and i was just like i yeah, have to live <laughs> i don't know if i could do that like i don't know how i would be able to do that you have to more power to job. the people that do i mean i think that's great but i kind of was like yeah i think i should transfer to something else just because i can still I could still go do fish and wildlife work with an environmental science degree, which is what I ended up Mm -hmm. getting. Um, So, yeah. And then in the environmental science program, I kind of, you know, learned about the world of consulting. Didn't really, you know, know if that's what I wanted to do, but found a job here doing that. And yeah, it's been great so far. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of crazy that you have to just volunteer. I no, mean, I'm I sure you you find another job, but that's that's a very big commitment. And like you said, you have this job now. If you want to do that later in life, you can just... Yeah. Because I'm assuming you, having this background, not that you can just like hop right over, um, but well, you can kind of... It's better than not having this background. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, I know. I don't really understand how... I mean, yeah, you can definitely do it. Just, you know, work, do volunteer fish and wildlife Mm -hmm. stuff for a while and work whatever job on the side. But the work that you're doing is not like easy work either. It's like, what do you mean? It's like a lot of like field work. You're hiking into places. It's like strenuous stuff. So it's not like, you know, you're just sitting around an office or anything like that. It's, it's, it's intense stuff. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I just kind of realized that that probably wasn't the path for me and shifted over to the, well, what did I do first? I was in bioengineering for a short that, <laughs> semester. That didn't last long? Yeah. I was like, nope, not doing this either. <laughs> and then finally settled on environmental science, which mm-hmm. I had, you know, kind of dabbled in before that too. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I got a degree in that with a minor in GIS. Which, which like, stands for um, geographic information systems. Okay, so, so ma- it's map and mapping. Stuff. Yep, exactly. Or what? What is what is a, someone that makes maps called? Cartographer. Yes, that's yeah. the word. Yeah, yeah. It, it's that essentially. It's like the new. I mean, yeah, it's a little bit more the, advanced yeah, now. It's like how I would describe it is like GIS is like. Yes, making maps, but really it's the analysis of any data associated with a location. Okay. So like even like making a, you know, a political map mm-hmm. of like what states vote yeah. what way. That's all like GIS does that. Oh, okay. So it can be anything from like natural resources to like, you know, political science, anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's cool. Yeah. I really enjoy doing that and i do that in my job now too perfect like we'll flag out all these wetlands um mm-hmm. t- 
take GPS points of them and then put a map together so that they have something to like look at and visualize where everything is. Yeah, that that's very cool. Um, yeah. So you went to college out in Montana. Yep. Obviously, you weren't studying the whole time. You yeah. Engaged in some other activities. I'm just kind of curious. Well, I know you're a big fly fisherman. Yep. Um, I guess we can kind of talk about that. So yep. how long have you been fly fishing for? Let's see. What did you say? I started, bought my first fly rod probably sophomore year of high school. Okay. Just 20 buck, $20 fly rod from eBay. <laughs> Thing was a complete piece of shit. <laughs> but just kind of like taught myself how to do that um, just through not i don't know just youtube and whatever mm-hmm. so that was what like seven years ago now probably yeah fuck yeah yeah <laughs> it's a long time ago so yeah and then moved out to montana for school which you know if you don't know anything about the area it's one of the best places to fly fish in the world that's like world. is it really yeah it's well like, outside of america is it fly fishing because i've only really heard about it from like americans is it yeah. bigger in other places of the world too or um it is kind of but honestly most of it there's you know a lot of fly fishing destinations around the world but a lot of it is just like americans traveling to those to places go there. to go fly fishing yeah yeah it's definitely kind of like there's like and it's like kind of like golf in a way where like there's a lot of really wealthy people that fly fish yeah. there's a lot of really wealthy people that play golf mm-hmm. there's also a lot of like you know we call them trout bums They're yeah just like you know 20 something year old guys you know living in their subaru or whatever. yeah exactly just like <laughs> drive around and go fly fishing but yeah so montana that's definitely a big part of the reason why i decided to go to school out there mm-hmm. um really enjoy doing that really been skiing my whole life so it's a great place to go skiing too yeah. so that's like basically what i did when i wasn't studying in school yeah it was either one of those two things yeah so with fly fishing um so obviously like what kind of fish are you catching in montana it's trout basically yeah so, all so trout. It's, uh, mostly rainbow trout mm-hmm. uh, cutthroat trout and brown trout is most of what is in Montana, a um, little bit of brook trout here and there. And is it all catch and release, or cause you you can keep fish? Um, trout does trout doesn't taste very good, right? Or am I wrong? It's pretty good if you cook it right. Okay. Um, yeah, it's good stuff. Um, I've definitely kept trout before. Yeah. Most of the time, yeah, I'd release fish, um, just because. I don't know. Sometimes if we were like camping or something like that, we'd keep one and cook mm. it over the fire and stuff yeah. like that. But most of the time I really just don't feel like dealing with cleaning a fish. So, <laughs> um, have you, you've cleaned one by yourself before? Yeah. Yep. That's cool. Yeah. It's not, not too hard to do. Yeah. What's the like biggest trout you've caught or biggest fish you've caught fly fishing? The biggest trout I caught was probably, let's see. It's like a, I think it was like a 25 inch rainbow in Montana. That's pretty big. Yeah, it was, it was a good size one. Yeah. Yeah. They get big out there. Yeah. (laughs) Like it's not like, I was not expecting that big. (laughs) No. Yeah. They get big. 
that's a big one. Like the anything over, anything over twenty inches is like a big trout. Yeah. And then like anything over two feet mm-hmm. is a real big one. Yeah. Well, I don't think other than the Vermont. I've, well, I've been like deep sea fishing yeah. in like um, Turks and Caicos and like Florida, mm-hmm. and I'm trying to think of somewhere else. But, like, those areas. So, I've been, like, deep sea and then, obviously, like, lake fishing in Vermont. Yep. But I've never kind of gone, like, out west into any of the rivers or lakes yeah. or anything. Yeah, it's cool. Um, it's just different out there. Like, the rivers are just so cold and, like, they stay cold all summer. You know, I mean, obviously, they come up in temperature. But yeah, it's not like here, you know, you go to a river a good size like any bigger river out here in the middle of the summer is going to be like warm yeah you get in it like hot almost. well because it's coming down from the mountain the yeah mountains, it's right? all like snow melt basically yeah. versus like out here obviously we get snow melt but that realistically is done influencing the rivers by like june mm-hmm. and then after that it's just all rain yeah so like the rivers out here if it if we get a good rainstorm you know you know you drive by a river after a good rainstorm and it's all like super high mm-hmm. and like muddy. Yeah. And then the next day it's back down mm-hmm. versus like out West, a big rainstorm comes through. You don't even really notice it in the river. I mean, sometimes you do if it's like a huge storm. Yeah. But like, so they don't really, really have any flooding problems or anything. They do, but it's mostly from snow runoff. Like, so runoff season, Oh, so if there's a lot of snow, not necessarily a lot of rain. Exactly. Okay. That so makes it's sense. it's like a big, huge snow year. Yeah. And then depending on how the season goes, sometimes it'll like melt and then like like it'll get warm and then cold again and then warm and then cold again. So it'll kind of like delay the runoff a little bit. Mm-hmm. And some years it'll just get warm. And then that, <laughs> that's when like the rivers just blow out like yeah. crazy. Like the... The Yellowstone River, we fished a lot. Um, that's like the biggest river. I think it's actually the biggest river, biggest undammed river in the country. Okay. Which is sweet. So it's like not dam controlled at all. So there's no like, they don't regulate the flows yeah, at all, you know? It's just it's whatever just, nature yeah. makes it. Yeah. So that river gets like crazy. Yeah, I can Around springtime. Like... If it's running at like 10,000 CFS cubic mm. feet per second, normally it'll get up to like 25,000 during so runoff. Fast. And it's just like huge water. Yeah. It's crazy. So you basically can't fish it for like three months. Yeah. Two, three months. Huh. So when you're fly fishing, I mean, it probably depends on where you are, but are you normally like in waders, like in the water or is it more from shore? Um. Yeah. Usually like wade out a little bit. So, yeah, I definitely use waders. Um, but, I mean, in the middle of the summer, if it's, like, hot out, you're not, just not wearing waders. Yeah. You're just getting wet. Yeah. Which is, like, you know, it's fine if it's hot out. But this time of year and, like, early in the spring. And even we would fish in the winter sometimes, like, in Montana. Really? Yeah. Because, like. Will the streams the, still run or no? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, and a lot of them are, like, bigger rivers. And especially if it's, like, a dam what we call like a tailwater which is below a dam to a reservoir okay this is getting kind of 
we're going a little bit too deep probably no it's fine i like learning about this shit because i have no idea about this stuff yeah a tailwater is like what's what we what you would call a river that's dam controlled below a reservoir okay and the difference between that is like the water temps out of a tailwater will stay way more consistent year round because it's coming out of a reservoir Okay. Specifically, if it's a bottom-release dam, which means the water comes from the bottom of the reservoir, yeah, like that water, it'll stay kind of a more medium temp year-round. Like in the summer, it'll be okay. colder. Yeah. Then you know it'll be colder than if it was coming off the top. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And in the winter, it'll be warmer. Okay. Because like. It just takes yeah. a long time for water that deep to change temp. Yeah. You know? Huh. So then in the winter, like you can still fish. Yeah. Those types of rivers a lot of times because the water is still a reasonable temperature for yeah. trout to be like feeding and yeah. Huh. Yeah. So is there anywhere, I mean, obviously Mon- you said Montana is one of the best places, but is there somewhere where you really want to fly fish that you haven't been to yet? Oh, there's like, a million places I could name off. Like I haven't like been that many places, but like Alaska is definitely up there. Have you ever been to Alaska? I've never been to Alaska. I want to go, go so bad. It looks so sick. Yeah, I know. It looks crazy. And you're more of like an outdoors guy than I am, so I'm sure you want to go even bad more. Yeah. I I that's definitely on the list. Mm-hmm. Um Is there specific places in Alaska? I don't know. I don't just anywhere. Yeah, I mean, I think it's all there's all like good fishing pretty much anywhere yeah. you go out there, but I know that there's yeah, I don't really know much about Alaska in general. I, I I've never Anchorage. been. I don't know the geography and stuff, but mm. really want to go there. I want to go do some like saltwater stuff, which I've been doing a little bit around here. Okay. Um for stripers up here in Maine. Oh, I've heard of I've heard of um, striper fishing with fly rods. Mm-hmm. I've heard of that before. Yeah, yeah, I've been getting into that since I moved here. Really? Have you gotten yeah. any? Yep. Nice. Yeah, nothing big yet. All like, I mean, a striped bass is like, they're usually, you know, twenty inches or so. So they're bigger mm-hmm. fish, but they get really big, like up, like above like forty inches and stuff. Yeah. So I want to try to catch one of those, like a big fish. I haven't caught one of those. I'm still kind of figuring that out. But, like, I want to do some more, like, tropical fly fish, saltwater fly fishing. Okay, so, so like, like, down in the islands. And- yep. Bahamas, really good for, like, bonefish. Um, and then probably my dream fly fishing destination would be, like, in the Amazon Oh, that'd be in the fucking, like, jungle. Dude, in Bolivia, (laughs) they have... Is it Bolivia? It's like Argentina, Bolivia Mm -hmm. area. They have these fish called Golden Dorado, which are just, like, these giant... What do they look like? Dude, they're gnarly looking. Just have huge teeth. They're huge, like, these giant fish that you can fish for in these... I think you have to get, like, helicoptered in, basically. You know how to spell it? It's golden. Yeah. Dorado is D-O-R-A-D-O. Okay. Yeah, yeah. 
for people listening, go Google it. All those things are massive. Yeah, Holy shit. They're gnarly. That's like a dream. How do you catch that on a fly rod? What? Well, you use like you don't use like a like a an insect fly. It's like a it's a big a big thing. like bait fish looking yeah. fly. Jeez. And they just get pissed and just hammer it. You well, because like I feel like so like what I've seen of like catching big fish is like you're on a boat. Like I went tuna fishing, and so but we had like a like pole. That was like strapped into something, and then you should like strap in and reel it in. Yeah. So a fly rod, though, is just you and the rod, right? You're not yeah. really. Yep. Damn, that'd be tough to pull one of those things in. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's like different sizes of fly rods, obviously. So if you're fishing yeah. for a big game like that, you're using a bigger, stiffer rod. That makes so sense. So you can kind of, you know, you're not using a trout rod. That's well, for yeah. Sure. <laughs> but yeah, it's definitely different and. It's not like obviously deep sea fishing. You're fishing like really deep. You can't really do that mm-hmm. so much on a fly rod. It all is kind of more sur- surface oriented. I mean, you can fish like realistically, I'd say down to like 15, 20 feet is about okay. as deep as you can go with a fly rod. Mm-hmm. But so, which for, for a lot of things is as deep as you need to be. You just can't go like deep sea fishing yeah. with a fly rod or anything like that. But yeah. So how long would you say it took you to learn how to fly fish? Like, I, cause you said you just kind of taught yourself through YouTube and like, was there anyone that helped you or you no. just kind of figured it out on your own? Yeah, pretty much. That's cool. Not really. Yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. Basically just like YouTube and just trial and error essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm still learning stuff, like, every time I go out. It's really? basically an endless, you can learn your whole life, essentially. Yeah. That's it's kind of exciting. Like a, exciting. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's cool. Um, I'd, I'd say by the time I moved to Montana, so, what was that, probably like two, three years of fly fishing, mm-hmm. I was, like, pretty okay at, like, you know, I was a competent caster yeah. and like all that stuff. I still didn't really know a lot about like what I was doing, but then I, you know, as soon as I moved there, I started learning a lot more. Um, I got a job at a fly shop, which I worked for like three years mm-hmm. in college. Obviously learned a ton working yeah. there because I didn't, I wasn't a, a guide or anything, but yeah. we ran a guide service out of the shop. So I got okay. like, you know, I'm talking to the guides like every day and yeah. stuff like that. And I'd fish with them and stuff like that. And so those are guys that are fly fishing, like, you know, or they're taking people fly fishing yeah. every single day of the summer, basically. And they're on the water every day. So they, they, they know, know what they're, they're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For the most part. So, yeah. But I'm I'm definitely still learning every time. Like mm-hmm. I said, um, you know, I moved out here. I'd never been saltwater fly fishing before I moved here, and so I've just been trying to figure that out. The whole striper thing is yeah. like a big change. It's a lot different, and so it's been fun, kind of getting to switch things up and try something new. And so with saltwater, are you? Going into kind of like back bays where the water's more still, or are you like kind of like in the ocean with like waves and shit when you're doing it, or both? Um, yeah, both. Okay. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of like you can just walk a beach mm-hmm. around here, 
just fish the surf. Um, I do that. It's kind of tricky. Like it's definitely tricky to know because like what I'd never thought about and I'd never, you know, I'll check like the, the flows of a river and stuff like that Mm -hmm. just to see what it's running at before I would, you know, plan a trip or something. But I never had to think about tides before. And so I moved out here and I'm like, Oh yeah. Like the first time I went, I was like, all right, I'm going to this back, like back cove Uh way up somewhere. (laughs) I drove out there. It was like an hour drive drove out there and I get to the spot I was going to go. And I was like, there's no water here. Like, <laughs> there's just no water. And I like looked out and I could just barely see the edge of the water. It was like a mile away. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, so either I just hike through this mud all the way out there or just go try to find another spot to go. Yeah. So yeah, that was, de- that's definitely something that like I never had to think about it's just tides mm-hmm. and, um, Wait, what, what was your question again? What were you huh? asking? Just about? like the difference between like if you're like in waves or if it's like more. Back. Oh yeah, 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 um, yeah. So it's both. It's yeah. definitely. Yeah, you can fish like the back, back bays, back coves, which mm-hmm. is cool on the main coast. It's like such a jagged coastline. Yeah. That like some of these back coves go like these like the estuaries go way way in, uh-huh. which is pretty cool. So yeah, like I said, you can go back into one and there'll be no water at all for like a mile huh. at low tide and then high tide comes in and it just fills right up yeah that's crazy yeah. and that you made that mistake but you'll probably never make that mistake again so yeah <laughs> yeah it's 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 definitely like a there's a lot to like figure out with striper fishing around here because mm. the fish move around like they're they're migratory so like in the winter they're not here Oh, really? Yeah. Do they, they go down south? They go down was, south in the winter. How far? Uh, Like all the way down to like Florida and beyond. Jeez. Yeah. It's crazy. So they just follow like the water temperature. So as soon as in the spring, once it starts to warm up, uh-huh. they start coming up here. Yeah. And then they're here pretty much all summer. And then around like probably any time now, they're, they're kind of on their way out. Right yeah. Now yeah that's migrating like migration is just such a strange concept like imagine if humans did that it's like wild dude just, just everyone up in the northeast is just like oh time to go down to florida yeah like, <laughs> they just walk like hundreds of miles <laughs> well that time of year pack yeah. it up <laughs> just go on a quick walk <laughs> i know it's crazy and like ducks and stuff oh yeah yeah birds that fly like so long and then well i remember learning about it like in kindergarten or whatever the butterflies too like yeah. crazy i know yeah um but so also you're a fly fisherman but you also make flies correct yep yeah. is that common or do most people just kind of buy them um i think it's it's both like depending who you ask like yeah. my, my brother um has gotten into fly fishing in the last few years mm-hmm. he doesn't tie flies okay um that is kind of like a whole nother like thing basically, which yeah. is, I, that's again, why I love fly fishing so much is cause there's so much to learn, like learn and yeah. you can just dive in and it's like a lifetime of stuff to like figure out. Mm-hmm. And so fly tying is definitely its own thing. And I enjoy it because it's like something I can do at home. Mm-hmm. 
and just you know you're like oh like i can't wait to use this fly like yeah it's time i get to go fishing you know till you but lose yeah. it <laughs> oh yeah yeah i lose a lot of flies for sure <laughs> how long does it take to create one it depends on what you're tying like there's okay. some simple like i mean i can show you some stuff after yeah. after this but like there's so many different types of flies like so there's like tiny stuff okay it's meant to look like insects that mm-hmm. we use for like trout okay um you know a simple a smaller fly that's like pretty simple will take me like 10 15 minutes to make okay so that's not too bad or there's like way more complicated stuff that you know a big something like this big mm-hmm. with two hooks in it that's like we call them like streamers which is supposed to be like a bigger looks like a bait fish or you know a small fish essentially Mm -hmm. that'll take more like you know half hour 45 minutes depending so yeah and what is it i mean i'm sure there's a bunch of but kind of what are the different types of materials you're using um yeah like you said there's a ton of different things yeah (laughs) it's like i don't know Everyone, I think, always gets into fly tying being like, oh, I'll save so much money. Like, flies are so expensive. I'm yeah. going to save money by tying my own flies, mm-hmm. which is absolutely not the case. <laughs> You're going to spend way more money just buying materials and being like, oh, I got to have this now. Like, <laughs> yeah, all that stuff. But, you know, it's worth it if you like doing it. Mm-hmm. So I have collected over the years just an absurd amount of materials that... I just have laying around half of them I don't use ever, mm-hmm. but um so I guess for like a dry fly, which is kind of what you would think of, like if someone that doesn't really know much about fly fishing thinks about what a fly looks like, yeah. they'd probably be picturing a dry fly, which is like a small um fly that floats on the surface of the water that's meant to look like, you know, an insect that flies around. And you know happen to land on the surface of the water or okay. hatched from the surface of the water and yeah. just laying there for so for something like that we use like a lot of natural materials so like you use like deer hair for like the wings and stuff like that oh that's cool yeah or um it's we call it hackle which is basically like the feathers of a a rooster hmm. that you like wrap around to give it like it kind of looks like legs and it helps it float yeah um so it's a lot of like natural materials from animals i guess so like deer hair elk hair um like i said hack different types of hackle there's like feathers from ducks all types of yeah. stuff and then there's also like synthetic materials that yeah. they just make it's probably cheaper for the synthetic stuff right or yeah not necessarily. It, it depends I mean, yeah, sometimes it, it's cheaper, but I don't know. Hackles can be pretty expensive, like a nice hack. Like if you buy like a neck of mm-hmm. a rooster <laughs> with all these feathers hanging off of it, that can be like 70 bucks for that. Damn. But it lasts you for like years. Yeah. Yeah. So huh. that is, and that's kind of cool that, cause I'm assuming the first flies were like made out of those things. And so right. it's cool that that's kind of continuously yeah. progressed and yeah. that's still kind of a yeah but it makes sense in that community because people are obviously if you're fly fishing and spending all this time outside you're kind of 
mm-hmm. into that environmental and reusing stuff. Yeah, it's that, and it's just like it's crazy because they they've come out with all these synthetic materials, which like a lot of it is really great stuff that I like using, but certain things like you just can't beat the natural. Like there's no really synthetic hackle that's better than yeah. real the real stuff. Uh-huh. It just doesn't exist. Huh. They just can't make something that is that yeah like, perfect for what you're trying to do. Which is cool. And it's also cool, like I'm not a big hunter or anything. I've, you know, been hunting before and I'm I want to get into it more. But yeah. like a lot of people will like shoot birds and then use like the feathers off those birds. For to tie flies with and like i've you know gotten feathers from friends that shoot birds and stuff and use that to tie flies yeah just like you know even more kind of along that same concept you were just talking about yeah is fly fishing because obviously there's like regular fishing which kind of everyone knows about fly fishing kind of this niche is it like something that's like kind of always been around or is it something that's recently and become more popular well it's definitely become more popular recently but it has been around for a long time Mm -hmm. um i think i want to say it started in like scotland back in like i don't know a long long time time ago ago. (laughs) yeah hundreds of years yeah i mean essentially the idea of it is like so like I was just describing that dry fly mm-hmm. is like tiny and weighs essentially nothing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So with a regular fishing rod, you have, you know, your lure, which is like metal and has some weight to it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Definitely. And so that lure on your rod will flex the rod, which is what shoots the lure. When okay. You cast, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The weight of that lure flexes your rod. And shoots it out so with okay. a fly rod that your fly weighs essentially nothing so mm-hmm. like what you're doing is you use a special line fly line that is like thicker and has more weight to it and you actually are essentially casting the line and then the fly is just attached to the end of the line so the line is what like propels the fly out okay so for whatever reason like back in back in the day they started making these know flies to catch fish then then they needed like a way to effectively cast that and that's like how fly fishing came to me that's my understanding of it yeah and so fly fishing line is different than regular fishing line correct yep it's thicker yep or okay yeah i can again i can show you stuff after this but um yeah it's like thicker um I guess it's like I'd describe it as like a plastic um, line. Mm. I don't know how to describe it, but it's like tapered also. So it's like thicker at the front of it and then like th- thinner as it goes back. Oh, okay. So that's like you get that. Like the oof. line being out past the tip of your rod is like the weight that then flexes the rod and allows okay. you to like push it forward it's kind of hard to describe yeah no if you were to do it you would understand it pretty quick how much do um i mean because i don't know how nice yours is but like a top level like top of the line like brand like how much does that whole setup cost because 
you buy the rod and the reel different, right? Yeah. So what's well, like the top level like price range? Um, you can spend a lot of money on fly fishing equipment. Yeah. Uh, so I think like the top of the line rod is like nine hundred to a thousand bucks. But you don't you don't have to spend that much money on yeah. fly rod. Well, and I I'm assuming they last a long time or no? Yeah, they do. They're like if you fish a lot and you have the money, it's definitely worth it mm. because they they last longer. They they tend to last longer. They all break. But the other thing is, you know, a top end rod like that is gonna have a better warranty. Yeah. So probably, yeah, it's pretty much sense. inevitable at some point you're gonna break a fly rod. Um. And so, a lot of these companies, if you're paying that much, you yeah. just send it into them, and they'll like either fix it or replace it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you can spend for something decent, probably more like two hundred bucks. Like okay. if I was like, it's not terrible. That's like what I would tell someone when I worked in the fly shop, and someone would come and be like, "Hey, I, I don't, I'm looking to buy my first fly rod." Mm-hmm. Like, I'm usually like try to there are rods that are like less than a hundred bucks that are pretty much mostly junk. Yeah. Kind of like that one that I was talking about earlier. My first one. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's going to frustrate you more than anything. So I usually like try to tell people to spend around 200 bucks on their first fly rod. Yeah. That's like, you're getting something that is legitimately good to use. Mm -hmm. And like, you'll enjoy using it. You'll be able to like, use it for a long time once your cast gets good you're not going to be like this thing sucks <laughs> like if you buy a cheap rod you're just gonna like you know start getting the hang of it and be like wow this is a piece of junk i need mm-hmm. to buy something else <laughs> yeah it's kind of like with anything you get what you pay for like i remember yeah. in college we we bought like the 30 dollar vacuum and it broke within two months yeah. and it's like just buy the little bit more expensive but it'll last and yeah. it will work a lot better too yeah Yep, and then for a reel, probably, you know, again, you can spend a lot of money mm-hmm. on a reel. So it's like those probably max out around seven, eight hundred bucks if you wanted to buy like a top of the line one. Yeah. For, and it depends what size you want to. Like, like a bigger, big game reel is going to be more expensive than like a trout reel. Yeah. You know? It makes sense. But yeah, like again, like one to two hundred dollars on a reel, it, you're getting something, yeah, pretty pretty solid at that point. And then the different like companies, because I I'm obviously you're in this world, I'm not really. I know Orvis mm-hmm. is that. Are they a big company or is that yep. just kind of marketing? It is. Okay. No, they're they're a big fly fishing company. Yeah. Okay. Well, because yeah. I know like their clothes and stuff, yeah. and then I know like I've been in Orvis shops and they have the fly stuff. Yep. Would yeah. you say they're the biggest? Yes. Okay. The thing about Orvis is they make really great stuff. Um, like they make some really, really high end fly rods, mm-hmm. waders, like everything. Um, and it's great stuff. The thing about them is like, like you said, they have all their clothing. Yeah. They do all the like dog beds and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And so they're like a, a legitimately big company that isn't just a fly fishing company, mm-hmm. which makes their fly fishing stuff honestly better because they have you know it's not just some like small rod making company that Mm -hmm. all their money is all comes from rods and it goes you know towards rods Mm -hmm. you know they have 
a bigger budget to spend yeah, exactly. at Orvis on like developing some really, really cool like fly rods and stuff like that. So would you say they're like top of the line is like Orvis? Yeah. Well, yeah, there's, there's more. Yes, they do. They are definitely at top of the line. They have, you know, their top of the line rod. It's called like the Helios three, mm-hmm. which is like an awesome rod. Um, but there's other companies that are up there with them as okay. well. Smaller. But fly fishing companies like Sage, Scott, um, they make really great stuff. G Loomis, which is like a bigger fishing company in general. Mm. Um, yeah, those are all up there and make, you know, comparable products to Orvis. But yeah, Orvis is definitely like the largest company that is yeah. a fly fishing company. Yeah. And like you said, it helps when you have kind of different areas right. where. Because, like, if your fly rods necessarily aren't making a ton of money, but right. you have all these dog beds that they sell for, like, I don't know. I, I, feel, I feel like I remember, like, the dog beds and, like, clothing be, being kind of... Not that it's, like, overpriced, because... But it's kind of like a Patagonia level where it's, like, a yeah. little bit more expensive. Definitely. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, we've been talking for a while now. Definitely. That was How long good. has it been? Huh? How long has it been? It's been an hour. Oh, jeez. You want to keep going? Whatever, man. You got anything else cooking? How's living in Portland? It's good. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, I'm liking it here. You've been able to explore the city? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a cool town. Um, definitely a change coming from Bozeman, Montana. I think the first time I drove out here, when I was moving out here, I was like, oh, jeez, this is like a city <laughs> like i'm not used to, which it isn't it's not yeah, that it's, big of a city well it's a little bigger than burlington where we're yeah. originally from yeah exactly yeah i'm from vermont and then i moved to montana so not exactly a city guy i guess you could say not but a city slicker no this is a good size i think it's like definitely a bigger town but um or bigger not bigger it's pretty small but bigger than what i'm used to but you i don't know there's a lot of cool stuff that comes along with that like mm. all the food here yeah it's great it's like a, a good you know a good scene yeah and the seafood i'm having some uh oh yeah i'm staying at my uncle's house tonight and we're having yeah. swordfish and it's like some of the freshest fish i've ever seen and he was mentioning i forget what market is downtown i don't know if you know the name of it do you know what i'm talking about there's a few there's like harbor fish market i think it's harbor yeah yeah i've been to that one catch the fish and then bring them to the market and yeah obviously living in vermont and now i live in boston which there's not really a lot of fishing there you don't get that (laughs) they don't have fish markets in boston well no they do they do um but it it's kind of far away from me i have to go okay yeah um yeah i know i've like anytime we're trying to have fish it's like just go to a market there's yeah. one called free range down there that mm-hmm. i like it's awesome you just walk in there and it's like all fresh caught yeah stuff it's so good it makes the world of difference oh like so fresh much. fish versus like whatever you get at the grocery store that they wow. even if they say it's fresh like it's not no. that fresh you know most of it's frozen the worst yeah. is when you're at the grocery store and you this happened to me, what, two weekends ago? We were making, like, pork carnitas, and we go and pick up a pork butt. And I picked it up. The thing was, like, frozen. Yeah. 
<laughs> it, yeah. like i was like this is still frozen like yeah. all that meat's like frozen and i thought out I and put it out i know yeah no the the fish markets are definitely awesome that's something i love seafood so like moving here is just like oh it's perfect yeah <laughs> definitely a lot different than montana there's not much uh not much seafood out there yeah but you get the the elk and yeah right yeah the thing is like went into like kind of would would you call elk wild game or yeah i guess you would yeah it's not the average but, but the cow. thing is wild game you can't sell like true wild game like oh, something you if you all? went out and hunted an elk you're not allowed to sell it i guess that makes sense because yeah you have poachers and shit, exactly yeah. you don't want to market for the meat so all the elk that you can buy at a grocery store is farm raised is there farm raised elk in mm-hmm. Montana? All the deer that you buy at a grocery store is farm raised. Huh. Yeah. It's illegal to sell like wild game. And so that's it, like across the country. Yep. Never knew that. I yeah. mean, it makes perfect sense because yeah. you'd have yeah. poachers and shit. But like I said, I'm not a huge hunter, but I knew a lot of people in Montana that were, you know, big elk, elk hunters. So definitely had my fair share of yeah. elk. Well, because what if you've never things, had it is delicious. Yeah, I think I had it. Uh, I we took a family vacation to Banff, Canada. Nice. And they had a like wild game place where you yeah. go and maybe it's it might be different in Canada. I'm not sure. Yeah, so I don't know. I don't know if it was wild. I, I have no idea. But we had like elk and bison, and yeah, that's the only time I've really had like kind of like crazy meat like mm-hmm. that. Um, I don't really remember what it tastes like. But those things get kind of big, right? Like, what, 200 pounds or no? Elk? They're bigger? Bigger. They're big. How big? Because I've never seen one. Dude, they're huge. Like, they're, <laughs> like, almost moose size. Like, definitely really? bigger than a deer. That oh, big? Yeah. yeah, they get big. Jeez. Yeah, they, not not as big as a moose. But if a moose is, like, 1,000 pounds, yeah, an elk is, like, at least 600 Jeez. They're big, yeah. They're so big if you animals. get one of those, you're gonna have a lot of meat. Yeah, to you got give a out lot of meat. People. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Jeez. Yeah, which it's like a big thing out there. Yeah, elk hunting is a is a huge deal. Huh. And th- there's a lot of elk too, so it's not like they're like taking them all. Yeah, there's a, you see them all over the place. You see herds of like. Hundreds of them, really, just sitting in a field. Yeah. And is it is it rifle or is it bow or both? They, there's there's both. Yeah, there's a bow season that okay. opens in September usually out there. So it's kind of the same with like whitetail in Vermont. Yep. And then rifle season yeah. opens like later on after that. Huh. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah, that's never. I never got into that. I would like to, but I don't know. There's only. Only so many expensive hobbies yeah, you can exactly, have, you know seriously. what I mean? Especially with, like, I was a big skier, too. Yeah. Still am, but I don't know how much skiing I'll do this year. Yeah, not not after the injury. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Broke my femur last day of skiing at Big Sky this year, so yeah. that definitely is going to slow me down a little bit this year, but... Yeah. Would you want to do bow or rifle? Um, Or, you don't know. I mean, bow hunting seems cooler to me. But I would agree for a big game like that. But I mean, it takes 
a lot of work and like i think it's probably you probably would like start off with a rifle you know probably, yeah. just so you can kind of get the lay of the land and know what you're doing a little bit understand uh-huh. like how the animals behave and stuff like that like yeah i don't know i've i've known i knew some people that were hunters for a long time and they just like got into bow hunting while they're in in montana mm-hmm. um and yeah they would bow hunt for like three four seasons and not get anything oh, like it's hard yeah it's <laughs> it's not easy well not only that the part about bow hunting is you hit the thing and then you gotta track it yeah. like if you like you have to like make like a perfect shot in order to like drop it yeah very and, fast yeah that was like uh fuck, what's that show called it's like a survival show alone alone yeah that show is sweet yeah but the the one guy that shot a moose yep. and then he like tracked it for like a couple miles like yeah imagine hitting a moose and you're tracking it and you lose like and you lose it and you just have no idea where it is and it's yeah. like i fuck i just got a moose with a bow and arrow but i can't yeah. find it like, i know <laughs> dude it's a thing people lose like they i mean i think you try your best to like obviously mm-hmm. find that animal but at a certain point they can run a long ways before they die if well, you don't like yeah, hit them I mean, right massive. or something. Yeah. So, yeah that that seems really cool. I think I would maybe at some point get into that, but more realistically, I think I want to get into like bird hunting. That I've done like some pheasant hunting. Yeah. Which is so fun. Like my um, I have family in Boise, mm-hmm. Idaho, and they uh, like have have uh like bird dogs okay and so we like hunting with bird dogs for pheasants is like so cool to just watch those dogs they just run around like trying to find pheasants because pheasants are like chicken sized basically oh really i thought they were smaller than that for some reason no they're pretty big and like they they act a lot like chickens like they they run around on the ground and so they, they, don't they fly, fly they do you? fly but okay. like they're not they're big they're like chickens yeah. they, they aren't that good at flying kind of like so, a turkey because a turkey can kind of fly yeah. like up in a tree but it can't yeah. necessarily they're not as big as turkeys but it's like same type of deal so like they are better at running around mm-hmm. and so that's what the dogs are for is to like chase them get them up <laughs> so that because kind of flying is kind of their last resort yeah so the dogs will like just be on them running <laughs> around and then like they'll get up in the air and then you just shoot them yeah shotgun that's like really fun because you are just watching the dog being like oh <laughs> looks like he's getting birdie he's he's on something there. yeah and then you're just like wait and sure enough one will mm. pop up and i don't know that 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 is really appealing to me doing yeah. that working it, with the dogs is cool and like i don't know yeah is fe- does pheasant taste good i don't think i've ever it's had really it it's good yeah it's like chicken it's, it's just like chicken it's like chicken but like better i think really yeah yeah so there's is there like white and dark meat like just like chicken or yeah it's like darker in general okay than chicken like the breast is like similar to a chicken breast but like yeah a little bit darker yeah huh it's really good stuff and like are there specific types of dogs that you use or just like there's like a kind of collection of breeds that are yeah for pheasant hunting yeah you can use a lot of different types um most people, if they want, like, a hunting dog, a bird dog, they get it from a breeder that, yeah. you know, breeds for that. Um, 
a lot of people just use labs, um, which is what like my family has. They have like a yellow lab and a black lab. Okay. Um, that were bred as bird specifically. Dogs. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of different types. Like there's like all those like German short hair pointers. Yeah. Any like pointer okay. is like a bird dog basically. That's like what they were bred for. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Or retrievers. I think you could probably use a golden retriever if it was bred as a bird dog. So I've what, never seen someone use a golden retriever, no. but it's a retriever. So Yeah. So how do they like so I guess do you train to make it a like a bird dog? Yeah. Do you train like the parents and then like what like how do you like breed something to be a bird dog if that makes sense or do you know i don't know exactly but like i mean from my understanding it's just like so a breeder has like a bunch of dogs you yeah know? and they'll just take whatever dogs are like the best bird dogs yeah breed them and then that makes sense use yeah. their offspring and maybe they'll breed some of the offspring yeah. if they're you know up to their standards or whatever or mm-hmm. sell the puppies or whatever they do and you still have to like train them a lot obviously it's not just like they pop out (laughs) it's just like perfect dogs ready to go but like they are better at it than just some dog that you get yeah from the pound or whatever yeah yeah dog breeding is so weird that's like um, humans just bred different dogs to do different tasks and then it's crazy like bulldogs are just like so fucked up and like the like I don't know what the average like lifespan is, but like pugs too, like yeah, just like it's so <laughs> like Dude. who thought of these things? Well, the crazy yeah, the, it's crazy because I'm pretty sure that I think I listened to a podcast recently mm-hmm. that like every single breed of dog that we have originally came from a wolf. Yeah, all of them. Mm-hmm. A Chihuahua. Yeah, was like wolf yeah like which is just so nuts to me i know (laughs) it makes no sense at all that you could get that from a wolf yeah well because the story is is like humans would hunt and then the wolves would kind of hang around yep and then eat the remnants and then eventually they would help the humans hunt or kind of that and then yeah you crossbreed to make a dog that can do this and do that Mm -hmm. like my fucking little yorkshire terrier Yep. He was bred, they're bred to like catch rats and mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. And like, so there's like all, yeah, I don't, there's so many different types of dogs too. It's crazy. I know. Yeah. It's wild. And it like, I think it happened like relatively quickly too. Like, I don't know. You can like get different breeds of dogs if you do it as a human, like, specifically breed for certain things Mm -hmm. like what was i it was like some people tried to well they did like create domestic foxes in like 50 generations i think it was so like 50 yeah iterations of like breeding foxes for like traits that you would so i think what what did i say it was this thing like they would they had foxes, yeah. like wild foxes, and they would like reach their hand in 
to the fox enclosure yeah with like a big leather glove on and any of the foxes that like you would like attack them or whatever they wouldn't breed them and the ones that would just like kind of get scared or like just be more you know chill about it they would breed those ones and they would just keep doing that over and over like 50 generations which isn't that long because how long do foxes live just like a few years and you know they can they can breed by the time they're like one year old you know yeah. it's like a dog you can breed a dog after mm-hmm. it's like one so it doesn't take that long to do yeah and then they they like came up with domestic foxes that are just like pets so you can buy a domestic fox. you can buy a domestic fox yeah <laughs> <laughs> that would be that would kind of be like a funny thing to do if you like just move to a neighborhood or something yeah. and have it and then this is my fox like, oh shit put it on a leash fox walk around, around. <laughs> i know I don't think I would want that as a pet, though. I wouldn't either. It's I like, feel like it's still just going to be a crazy pet. Yeah. I mean, maybe. I don't know. But That's like those fucking teacup pigs. Have you ever seen those? Yeah. I hate those things. I don't know why people get them. Dude, I'm pretty sure that those... I feel like I read somewhere that like those teacup pigs are just like regular pigs. That you just like don't feed them as much. What? <laughs> what? Dude, yeah. I'm I could be completely off on this. I'm like not exactly sure. Yeah. People should Google it and do their own research. But pigs are crazy, yeah. Pigs are like a crazy animal. Oh, they, you, they they just grow. Yeah. They get huge. Mm-hmm. And they roll around in shit and mud yeah. all day and they eat each other too, right? Yeah, they don't care. No. But they're smart. They're smarter than dogs. Really? Yeah. How so? I like I don't know, but I've heard that. <laughs> <laughs> You've heard it? it? Yeah. I think. I mean I don't I don't really know much about pigs to be honest. I think they're supposed to be smart. Like what's that book? Well dogs aren't that smart because they listen to us. Yeah. So like oh, it, I think pigs are supposed to be like pretty dang smart. I mean, yeah. What's that book? Animal Farm? Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's why, like, the pigs, like, run shit yeah. in that book. So, I love telling the story. I don't know if I've ever told you. So, I read that book in, like, sixth grade or seventh grade. Yeah. And, obviously, it's, like, a commentary on, like, the Russian Revolution. I had no clue yeah. when I was reading it. You were just like, what so the So, I just read that on? book, and I was like, oh, like, these pigs and, like, <laughs> the different animals and stuff. I was like, oh, that's kind of, like, a neat story, whatever. And then I forget if it was in high school. I didn't read the book, but like other people were reading the book for a class and they were talking about like the Russian. And I was like, Oh, I read that book in like middle school. And they're like, Oh, like, and so like, I like kind of found out that I had to do. And I was like, Holy shit. I feel so stupid. (laughs) I mean, I was in middle school, but I don't, don't really know. But you're like, wait, you guys are reading this children's book for a high (laughs) school class. It's just like a story about animals. What is the deal? That's funny. So I read it again and like kind of like followed the history and stuff, but (laughs) (laughs) that's funny. Yeah. All right. So should we get out of here and go get some food? I'm kind of hungry. Yeah, sure. Let's do it. Plus Michigan State's on, right? So is it? Yeah. All right. Well, Dave Forbes, thanks for coming on. Yeah. Thanks for having me. You'll, I'll have you back on once I get super popular so then yeah. a lot of people know who you are. Sounds good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again. Yeah.